All right, so we've got a new year, and we've got a new series coming up uh, next week, Sermon on the Mount. Um, originally, the intention was to start the Sermon on the Mount this Sunday. Sermon on the Mount refers to Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, okay? And it's kind of one extended sermon, and we're going to take um, a few months to work through that. Uh, this year, the front half of the year here, um, roughly January to May. But as I was thinking about, praying about um, our focus and orientation for this year, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of pastors that are, you know, taking advantage of the 2020 vision. Everybody awake? Okay, there we go. Um, seriously, I think it's, it's helpful for us to think this way. First Sunday of 2020, you know, New Year's resolutions aside, whether you do that or not, what will be your focus in 2020? What are you going to focus on? What's going to capture our attention? What's going to capture your attention? So have you heard the expression, the attention economy? You guys know what this refers to? Human attention is a resource, right? And it's limited. We all only have so many hours in the day. And so much attention to give. Companies have always been interested in the attention of human beings because they've got to capture our attention if we're going to buy their products and services, right? Um, our world has certainly changed significantly in the last few decades with the technological revolution. So <clears throat> this has impacted entertainment, Netflix, other streaming services, um, are shaped by these dynamics, the attention economy, and they shape our attention. So binge-watching is a thing now, and it's encouraged. Binge-worthy TV is a common description. If you're into a TV series, the next episode will play automatically in, like, what, 10 seconds? You know, the little counter. So if you're <laughs> into that series, you don't have to you don't have to wait till next week. It's there for you, ready to go. So it's making media dogs out of us, not cats. Okay? I don't have either one of those, but I think this is right. Um, you can't leave a dog for a week, you know, with its food in, you know, seven different bowls, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Because the dog will just eat it all. But a cat will just eat what it needs. Am I right here? Anybody? Okay, thank you. Um, so it's making dogs out of us, not cats, or it's feeding our inner dog. So at, at one level, this is nothing new, right? Marketing, advertising, it's for a long time been, you know, a thing, fighting for market share. Times Square in New York City is, you know, at night is like this perfect snapshot of the crazy, frenetic scramble for our attention, right? But the rise of the smartphone and social media applications, we've poured gasoline on what has been smoldering for a long time. So with the rise of social media, attention itself is a commodity. So social media apps and games, things like Instagram and Snapchat, TikTok and YouTube, Fortnite and Candy Crush, like, why do you think they, they want to send you notifications? As soon as you download that app, the first question they ask you is, Allow us to send you notifications. Why? Because they want your attention. 
The more attention of yours that they have, the more money that they make. Attention is a commodity in the attention economy. Why do you think infinite scrolling was invented? Or autoplay? Or up next? Or recommended for you? Or trending? Why do you think streaks were invented? Those of you that don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Or clickbait? Or have you ever tried to sign out or log out of, you know, one app or another? Maybe it's eaten up too much of your time and you're just going to log out and delete it from your phone. You're like, where in the world is the log out, sign out button? They put it in the corner so that it's not easy to find. There's a lot of engineering that goes into all of this. It's kind of like a really sophisticated slot machine. So you could say, what do you know about all this technology, pastor, you know? Well, listen to Tristan Harris, okay? So he's co-founder, executive director of the Center for Humane Technology. So he was in Silicon Valley. I don't, he probably still is. Um, worked for Google, Google for a long time. So he's the closest thing. This is one um, description of him. Closest thing Silicon Valley has to a conscience. I guess it was the Atlantic magazine that said that. He was the former design ethicist at Google. Did you know they had that position? He is a world expert on how technology steers us all, leaving Google to engage the issue publicly. He's been sounding the alarm about technology's dark sides for a while and now co-hosts the podcast, Your Undivided Attention. I've listened to a few of these. It was some months back, but here's a description of the podcast. Technology, some, I think I have a... Technology companies are locked in an arms race to seize your attention, and that race is tearing apart our shared social fabric. In this inaugural podcast from the Center for Humane Technology, hosts Harris and Raskin will expose the hidden designs that have the power to hijack our attention, manipulate our choices, and destabilize our real-world world communities. Harris said, we have free right now. What are we going to do to replace these free products? Well, great, we're getting free social isolation, free downgrading of attention spans, free incivility. Free is the most expensive business model we've ever created. So I'm not going to say it's all bad, it's all evil, you know, throw your phones in the lake, although that probably wouldn't be a bad idea. But the point is, the more of your attention these free apps and games can obtain, the more money they make, obviously, okay? So these companies have figured out how to get you to work for them. You've basically become employees of Instagram or YouTube, and they get paid for it. So certainly they're providing a service. Yes, lots of people who create on those platforms make a lot of money. There can be good ways that they're used. But we need to know that the economics are driving the strategy and the engineering. They want to make money, and they do so by getting more and more of our attention. So the ones that make the best strings of, you know, sugar hits for your soul, win. And ironically, the attention economy has adversely affected our attention. Right? We've become more distracted and distractible. We have less of an attention span except for the things that win at this attention 
economy gain, which means that slowly we are less and less likely to choose the harder thing. To read the longer form article that's more substantial than the soundbite article. To pick up a book and put down the phone. And yes, obviously some of us read books on our phone, but you know, you, you get what I'm saying. So we actually need more and more engineering done for us in order for us to be interested. You can see how that's a pretty dangerous trend, right? So who's going to get your attention in 2020? What are you going to focus on in 2020? What are you, where are your values headed, heading in 2020? Will your attention follow your values? Will you give your attention to what matters most to you, or will you just end up responding to kind of the squeaky wheels and clickbait and well-engineered attention-getters this year. So really this morning, in preparation for the Sermon on the Mount series, we're going to spend time in Matthew, but we're going to look at multiple places and focus our attention this morning and hopefully a little shot in the arm to focus this year on what's really valuable, our supreme value and our values. At Bethel, we've got three values, gospel, community, and mission, so... They're going to be in the message here. But first, we're going to look at the supreme value. So turn um, in your Bible to Matthew 13, 44. It's just one verse, point number one. There's an outline in your bulletin, if that's helpful, or you can follow along on the slides. Um, you'll see the points up there. So Matthew 13, parable that Jesus told. You can find it if you're using the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, and you can find our passage on page 819. <clears throat> Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So, first off, what are we talking about here? What, what is the kingdom? The kingdom in the Bible is the rule of the king of kings. Okay, It's primarily about the king. It's about his rule and reign. And on our side, it's citizenship in that kingdom of the kingdom, I'm, I'm sorry, the kingdom of the king of heaven and earth. So kingdom isn't a kingdom without the king, and it's really him and his rule, his benevolent, wise rule that makes this kingdom what it is. So the king makes this kingdom worth what it's worth because this king is of supreme, even infinite, value. So this is the ki kingdom of heaven. This is God's kingdom. God is the most glorious, majestic, delightful, beautiful, powerful being there is. He's the most creative, creative. Like, he ought to turn our heads more than anyone or anything else. He's the wisest sage. Way better than any TED Talk. He's the holiest holy one. He is worthy above all other worthy things and people. 
So he and his kingdom are the most valuable things that exist. And so this kingdom, kingdom of heaven, is likened to a treasure. And a treasure so valuable that if you found it, it would be worth selling everything that you have in order to obtain it. So imagine, that would take a lot, right? And it's, it's a treasure so valuable that if you had to sell everything to obtain it, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. It would be like, woohoo! You know, like you'd be giddy. It'd be easy to give up everything because of how valuable this kingdom is. It would be a deal. It would be a steal to sell everything that you had if you could just have that treasure. It's that valuable. So a couple of commentators here. Don Carson says, The kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. Certainly there's a cost to following Jesus, but it is nothing compared to what we get. Leon Morris, no cost is too great when it is a matter of gaining the kingdom. Okay, so um, we left the day after Christmas, went to my mom's in Kentucky. Um, I don't know, a number of people in the household were sick, so instead of hacking and, and coughing and needing to get up 15 times, we stayed home, didn't go to my mom's church. And so we listened to a sermon together after brunch. Um, and it was by Shy Lin, who's he's pastor of a church up in Philly. And it was on this passage. And he's, he's trying to give some illustrations. And the second one was aimed at the children, the children. Okay, so he said, okay, kids, and this is like the Sunday before Christmas, so very fitting. It's, it's the Sunday after Christmas, so again, very fitting. Um, maybe most of the kids are down the hall, but some of you are still in here. So children, think about the best toy or gift that you got at Christmas. And maybe you could even just ratchet it up and say, not just this Christmas, but like any of the Christmases you've had, what's the best gift you've ever gotten, the best toy, the best whatever that you've ever gotten? And if you had this, you know, family member or friend that comes to you and says, listen, I own this awesome toy store, you know, FAO Schwartz or whatever. Are they still in business? I don't know. Toys R Us is out. Um, five floors, downtown Chicago, and I'm going to give it to you. You know where this is going. I, yeah, I, I know it's obvious. Um, so, you know, going to give. there's only one condition. All you've got to do is you've got to give me your favorite toy. And that favorite toy, there's like shelves of them. You know, so just so you know that. And so Ben responded. He's sick right now, so he's not in here. But you know what he said? I asked him what he would do. He said, easy peasy. Give him the toy. And yet, so we know this is obvious, right? It's kind of obvious. But this is not obvious. It's not so easy-peasy, is it? Certainly by nature, we all are born in such a way as to treat this 
worthy king as if he's worthless. That's, that's what happened in the garden. That was the lie. He's holding out on you. Your good is somewhere else. If I go with God, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to lose all my fun. I'm going to lose all my joy. It's going to steal my life rather than give me life. So the most valuable being in the universe, and we are kind of like spring-loaded to be bored and, and act as if he's not worth our time. And we can do that even after we become a Christian. We can be bored with the most valuable treasure in the universe and treat it as if it's worthless and get so, like, geeked up about worthless things. Is geeked up a thing? I anyway, I don't know if that's the right... You know what I'm saying. So in Matthew 22, again, we're kind of hanging out in Matthew, right? The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who gives a wedding feast for his son. When everything's ready, the invitations go out, and no one comes. Matthew 22, 4. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. It's like the best. This is like wedding feast, sort of saving the best for this special occasion. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. And then Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So let's just stop and think, like, if you're not a Christian, this is a good question. If you are a Christian, we all can just end up, like, getting our values all out of whack. How much do you think of God? That's kind of like a, there's two different questions. Frequency or how highly do you think of him? And they're related, aren't they? How much is he worth? How much is God worth? <laughs> how much is he worth to me, to you? We don't think much of God if we don't think much of God. So, man, we just can get our values so out of whack you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, total like, sorry, you're not going to satisfy me. And we've been doing it ever since. How did he respond? How could he have responded with judgment and condemnation just crushing us? But that's not how he responded. He came to save the ones who spurned and belittled his infinite worth. Because his Love and his mercy and his compassion is so great and worthy. So that leads us to the first of the next three points. We're going to go through our values, gospel, community, and mission. So in the context of Matthew's gospel, you know, one, one passage for each of these. So gospel, Matthew 121. Very simple, but let's not miss it because it's hidden in plain sight. Matthew 121, Mary will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So simple and yet so profound. 
we all have bitten the hand that feeds us, the hand that made us. We want to be gods. We want to determine what's good for us and for others. We want to use the giver to just get his gifts, and then we want him to leave us alone. We want the joy of creation and created things without the joy giver. Romans 1 you know, describes it like this. We've exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So how unrighteous is that? How wrong is that? To be bored with or to turn away from God as a killjoy or a thief of abundant life or as some harsh taskmaster when actually he's the greatest treasure. He is exactly what our souls need. He's the only thing that will ever satisfy us. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him, Augustine said. So instead of glorifying God as we were created, we try to shrink ray him. And it shrinks our souls. We shrivel up and all we want are little created things, pleasures. So rather than, thankfully, crushing us for our ungrateful insolence, our arrogant foolishness, our selfishness, and our vanity. What does this God do? He gets low and small and weak, and he suffers for us so that we can be saved from our sins, and he can make us truly great and glorious again in his image. So the giver gives his most valuable gift. He didn't spare his only son. He so loved this world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So you don't earn entrance into this kingdom, kingdom of heaven, that's worth everything. It's only given. It's given to the poor in spirit, which we'll see next week in the Beatitudes to those who know they need help. They need saving. Jesus came to save us from our sins. He came to seek and save the lost. But if you don't think you're lost, if you don't think you're a sinner, you're not going to think he's necessary. He came to rescue us from ourselves. It's a gift of grace. It's not something that we can earn. So Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You can have the kingdom. We can have the kingdom. We can have the king and his kingdom. So that treasure is worth so much more than everything we have. So much more than anything that we could ever sacrifice. We never get the short end of the stick if we gain this kingdom. Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? He came to save our souls, to save us from our sins. And do you see what's going on here in Matthew 16? I mean, there's a lot going on there, but... Your soul is worth more than the whole world. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's net loss. You can find and keep your soul forever by being saved by, being found by Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins now and forever. We only repent and believe 
and receive that gift. We deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. Two ways of saying the same thing. We sell all to buy the field. That's the gospel. That's the response to the gospel. It's good news. In his joy, he sold it all and bought the field. So, listen, many of you, many of us, I would say, struggle deeply, maybe frequently, with disappointment and loss. Things have not turned out as you've hoped. So much of what you long for is out of reach. Your life can feel out of control. It can feel outside your control. The things that you really want and long for are out of reach. It can be so discouraging. But there's good news this morning. You can have this treasure. If you're in Christ, you already have this treasure. But this treasure, you can realize what you have. You can revel in it and enjoy and be grateful and content and encouraged by this treasure this year. So let's seek first this kingdom. We'll look at it, you know, in the weeks to come in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't wear yourself out running after all the things that everybody else in this world runs after. Your father already knows what you need and he's going to take care of you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all that you need will be added to you. Treasure, the real treasure. It's Christ and his kingdom. So listen to Paul in Philippians 3. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing Worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So that's what happens when we come to faith in Christ, but it's also something that we need renewed in over and over and over again. So maybe what you need, maybe what I need most this year is for the Lord to restore our first love. Maybe that's the thing we really need to fix our eyes on as we head into 2020. I was more passionate about Jesus back in the rearview mirror. Would you please restore to me the joy of my salvation? Revive this dead heart. I want to be seeking first your kingdom. This is the most valuable thing in the universe. Help me treasure the treasure. Let's not be lukewarm about the greatest treasure in the universe. Next point, number three, community. And we're going to look at Matthew 18, which might, to some of you, sound like a little strange, but turn there, actually. And I just want to make a couple points from this chapter. So you can find it on page 823. And what I want us to see here, this kind of struck me um, the end of the week here, this past week. Notice the value of your brothers and sisters in this chapter. <laughs> your spiritual family, the church, your spiritual community. 
This is the kind of vision we need for 2020. It's the kind of valuation we need to make if we're going to live with 2020 spiritual vision. So the chapter starts out with the disciples' values being out of whack, right? Look at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Because they wanted to be greatest. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you won't even enter, let alone be great in my kingdom, if you don't become like a little child in humility and dependence and recognizing your need. So, Humility is the path to true greatness, not by seeking greatness as the world defines it. So valuation, what really matters, real greatness, those issues are central in the chapter as Jesus goes on in verse 8 to say, valuation is, is, is central. So if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or feet um, to be thrown into the eternal fire. In other words, paying the cost of ruthless war against sin, whatever self-denial is necessary, is worth it. Valuation, right? In view of the value of eternal life, of entering eternal life. Your cherished sin is never worth it. Like, whatever tempts us is never worth it. That's what Jesus is saying. And then in verse 10, he says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. When he refers to little ones, he's talking about disciples who ought to be childlike. See that you do not despise one of these little ones because angels serve those little ones. <laughs> kind of the shorthand. In other words, realize the worth of the children of God. If, if God values these little ones so much that beings that if you, were to be in, if you were to encounter one, you'd hit the deck and be tempted to worship that angel, like happened many times in the Bible. If God has servants like that serving us, realize their worth. Don't despise one of them. They are to be honored. So you see, valuation is at the center here. Verses 12 and 13 re reinforce the point. Look at them with me there. So what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that ever went astray. The point is, he doesn't say, ah, I've got 99, it's not worth it. No, that one sheep is worth it. This is how valuable each and every sheep is to this shepherd. How valuable you are to the good shepherd. How valuable then your brother and sister is to the good shepherd. And so it has implications for how we live. Look at verse 14. If that's how much the shepherd values his sheep, then the other sheep 
ought to take care with how they treat their fellow sheep. Verse 14, so it is not the will of my Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones, again, ones who believe, should perish. This has got to influence the way that we deal with our brothers and sisters, especially those who, are, who sin against us. Okay, do you see where he goes next? If your brothers or sister sins against you, go tell them their fault between you and them alone, you and him alone, him or her, okay? The whole point is you're after restoration, not condemnation because of the value of your brother or sister. Indifference or withdrawal means you're saying they're not worth it. But actually addressing that sin and working to gain your brother says they're valuable. We're taking our values from God. And that's what he's seeking to do is shape our values. So look down at verse 21. Peter thought he was being really spiritual. You know, because Jesus is saying, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. His fault. But then the issue of forgiveness comes up. And kind of the common idea at the time was, you know, three times. So Peter thought he was being really spiritual to say seven in verse 21. And Jesus' answer challenges Peter's categories and challenges ours. No, 70 times, 77 times, or 70 times seven. Like, in other words, stop counting. Whenever your brother or sister repents and seeks forgiveness, you should forgive them over and over again. Then he goes on to use a parable to explain. And the primary meaning of the parable, this unmerciful servant, is the incredible mercy of God, okay? So if we've been recipients of the lavish, like, incredible mercy of God for our infinite sin, this servant that was forgiven 10,000 talents, like billions of dollars, he'd never be able to pay it back because he pleads for mercy, then we must extend mercy to our brothers and sisters who sin against us. Which is why Jesus ends with verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. But the whole point is, you owed God billions of dollars, like an inestimable, unpayable debt. And because of his mercy and his value of you as his child, he forgave that entire debt. So that mercy and that valuing gets transferred to those who sin against us. We should care enough about that person that we're willing to forgive that debt. So do you see all the value judgments in this chapter, the value of one such child, the value of one stray sheep, the value of an erring brother or sister, your value in light of our massive debt and God's mercy toward us. He was willing to say, you know, paid in full. Jesus paid it on the cross so that we could be pardoned, we could be forgiven. 
and then the value of that brother or sister who sinned against you. So Jesus spilled this infinitely precious blood to redeem his precious bride, his church. So all of that to say, we must not be indifferent to other souls that are also worth more than the world. <laughs> your soul is worth more than the world. What, you know, you can gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. It's not worth it. Well, there are these incredibly valuable people right around you, and we can't be indifferent to one another. We need to love and forgive and be engaged in active ways with one another. Speaking of the fact that souls are worth more than the world, mission. Matthew 28, 18. So we're, we've looked at the beginning of Matthew, Matthew 1. We're going to look at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. What kind of vision are we going to have? What are we going to focus on in this coming year? Supreme value, treasure hidden in the field. It's worth everything, Jesus and his kingdom. And the gospel, community, and mission need to be central values for us, um, guiding us into this new year. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth, after he rose from the dead, he appears to his disciples, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So go and make disciples. We are only going to make disciples if we are actively following, if we've fixed our eyes on Jesus. 2020 vision, gospel at the center. We will only share what we possess. Teaching them to obey. We need to know what Jesus commands if we're going to obey this command. So we need to study the words of Jesus and obey the words of Jesus so that we can teach and help others follow Jesus. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him if we're going to actually be faithful to the mission. We need to follow his commands if we're ever going to teach anyone else to follow his commands. We can't teach what we're not living out ourselves. Otherwise, we're just going to be hypocrites or we will keep our mouths shut precisely because to say what we're not doing would make us hypocrites. So, the gospel of the kingdom is worth selling all to obtain it. The more we treasure it, the more we'll share it. It is not right to keep this good news to ourselves. Um, do you know the story of the four lepers in 2 Kings 7? It's kind of an obscure spot. Um, so it was in the time of Elisha the prophet, and the Syrians laid siege to the Israelites in the northern kingdom in Samaria. Things were really bad, like famine conditions. And there were these four lepers. You know, they couldn't be in the city with the Israelites. They were unclean, so they had to be outside in, in their own little camp. And they figured they'd risk trying to enter the Syrian camp. Syria's trying to attack the Israelites. And maybe, you know, get some food or something. Who knows? What was the worst that could happen? They'd get killed by the Syrians. They were going to die anyway of starvation. 
Little did they know that the Lord was going to work a great deliverance. So you'll see how this connects in just a second. Follow along, 2 Kings 7, 5-9. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. So this is a day of good news. If we are silent, like we have the spoils that Jesus won on the cross. It is infinitely valuable. It is an infinite treasure what he won for us. If we are silent, we are keeping the treasure all to ourselves. No, we should go and tell and share it with others. So remember the implication of Matthew 16, your soul is worth more than the whole world? Well, that's not just true for you. You have eternal souls that you rub shoulders with in your neighborhood, in your family, at work, at the store. Like, what, what do we want this year? More stuff? More success? More little fleeting sugar hit pleasures? It's all going to burn. It's all vanity of vanities of chasing after the wind. Like, aren't you weary yet of trying to squeeze soul satisfaction out of finite things? That's why Paul wrote, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So Christ and his kingdom are of supreme value. And oh, how we need to see the value of the treasure that we have. We need to see what truly matters as we head into this new year. We need 2020 vision in that sense to see the value of Christ and his kingdom and value the gospel and value Christian community, our brothers and sisters that Jesus died for, and value the mission. We are dealing with eternal souls that are worth more than the world. So as we close, let's treasure Christ this year. Is God going to get our attention? Is he going to get my attention this year? Will we give God our attention intentionally, proactively, strategically in 2020? How do, we, how do we plan to do that? How do you plan to do that? If we don't plan to give God our attention, it's probably not going to happen all that consistently. So this isn't the only thing, but it certainly begins here. Um, there's a little insert in your bulletin with a Bible reading plan. Okay, so do, if you don't have one, I'm commending this one to you. Okay, we 
are going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount, so we're getting the Gospel of Matthew for several months, probably about January to May. So it's basically a Bible reading plan to fix our eyes on Jesus together from January to May. And it's pretty doable. It's like one chapter a day. So even if you have a plan, you might want to just add this on top of it. If you don't have a plan, you can do this. If you already have a, a great plan, good, go for it. The main thing is that we are feeding on the words of, word of God, that we are fixing our eyes on Jesus regularly and just filling up on his grace so that we can follow him faithfully this year. But you can see there, pretty simple, pretty clear, and you would get through the Gospels twice in the next five months. And you know what? I... Chris Elliott and I taught this communion with God class the last semester, and um, we talked about, you know, habits and practices and whatnot as part of it, some of the application. And one of the things that struck me is how frequently people said how much encouragement and accountability was vital to them being consistent in the Word. We know we need the Word, and yet we're still inconsistent. But if we get some help from our friends, from our brothers and sisters— it helps in a massive way. So maybe you grab a friend and do this plan together or as a community group. And then you share some of the fruit of your study and meditation. So just an encouragement. Let us head into this year and treasure Christ. This kingdom, this king is of infinite value. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus in view of his surpassing worth.